and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, uh, and I'm here again on another fine Wednesday evening with my co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great, Parker. Uh, I have tickets to see Robert Earl Keane on Saturday, so I'm pretty excited. Uh, how about yourself? I, I don't have tickets to see Robert Earl Keane, but... Uh, I do have I do have the needle in my arm, and so I would feel um, very jealous that you're getting to go do something, and I'm not because it's uh, yeah. not happening here. But um, I'm even more excited because uh, not only do I have you know superhuman antibodies coursing through my veins, um, I uh, we have tonight uh, a, a superhuman guest. I might say uh, we have Ish Johnson mm-hmm. joining us of Dave Cam- uh, Dave Campbell's. Uh, Republic of Football podcast. Um, and uh, Ish, Ish is here to talk to us about the state of Texas and the state of Texas football. Ish, how are you this evening? I'm good, man. I'm glad you specified the antibodies because when you said I had a needle in my arm, it's like it could be taken multiple different ways. So <laughs> you never know. It's a crazy place uh, right now. I get that. <laughs> he, yeah. He's listening to uh, the Rolling Stones dead flowers and just kind of staring off into space. It's a really weird time for Parker. <laughs> We're glad he's here. We are. We are indeed. And I, I do love a good... Uh, token Mick Jagger country song reference to kick us off as we talk about mm-hmm. um, Texas uh, and and Texas football. So um, issue, you're one of the uh, foremost experts on, uh, on on Texas football, not just generally, but specifically the marginalia of Texas football. You have a pulse on um, kind of the smaller schools and the the more, I would say, more fun um, and less, you know, kind of corporatized storyline. So uh, for, for our listeners who are unfamiliar with you or with Dave Campbell's, uh, tell us kind of how you got to where you are and kind of why you like to cover these, these, you know, the Texas States and the UTSAs and these teams we'll talk about uh, tonight. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think it comes from, I mean, pretty simply that I went to Texas state. And so like, that was kind of the, I went to Texas state their last year in FCS, their last full season in FCS. And so I kind of got ingrained in that, um, you know, that Southland uh, field and, and just kind of, learning to love that history because before I, a couple of years before I went there, I believe it was their quarterfinals or semifinals run to the FCS in the FCS playoffs. And so I kind of got to really endear, endear myself to that kind of aspect of college football. Obviously when they went up to uh, FBS, they went to the WAC. And so you got to um, kind of familiarize yourself with at the time, the San Jose States, the Utah States, things like that. And then they moved up to the Sun Belt you know, same deal. And then I became the beat writer. Um, my first job out of college was the beat writer for Texas State at the San Marcos Daily Record. And so for my job, I had to familiarize myself even more. Um, and of course, Texas State rivals with UTSA. So you had to familiarize yourself with Conference USA as well. And yeah, like it was kind of a natural transition when I got the job at Dave Campbell's where I'm at now. You know, basically they cover everybody as if they're on, everybody's on the level playing field, right? I grew up a Texas fan. And so like, of course, I know the big 12. I know uh, the national schools as far as that's concerned. But, you know, that that is everybody's talking about that. Right. They literally have Mm -hmm. their own network. Right. That's fine. Um, But so nobody's really you're really not going to be breaking any news about those programs, the A&M's, the Texas, the TCU's, the Baylor's uh, more often than not, at least. And so I think what really is interesting about when you get down to the group of five, even the upper level group of five, like uh, SMU or Houston or the or the FCS, um, is how many stories just fall through the cracks. Just like not, not because nobody's paying attention, but you can't cover everybody like you do the big schools, right? And so there are so many players and teams that just go get lost to like uh, very 
uh, niche parts of college football fandom, you know, a Jalen Darden, unless he has like a season he had this year, right? Not everybody's going to really know that Jalen Darden was arguably the second best receiver in the country this year behind uh, Devontae Smith. And so in a Mason Fine, I mean, we knew in this state what Mason Fine did in North Texas, but you ask somebody across, you know, in California, who's Mason Fine, right? This kid from Oklahoma who's just going to throw for 6,000 yards, right? And so I think once you realized how much this state had to offer, it, you know, to me, you're doing yourself a disservice if you only pay attention to the upper echelon. Can I derail that? First off, that is a completely um, refreshing worldview, I think. I want to derail this for one second. What year did you graduate Texas State? Uh, Fall of 2014. Okay. Okay, so you would have been the year after this. Okay. I've been to one Texas State football game. It was against Mm -hmm. Southeast in Louisiana and it was triple overtime 2009. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I do it remember was that an incredible game. game. Yeah, they missed a extra point in the triple overtime to tie the game and that's how they lost. Yeah. So it anyway, was, that's, Texas that's State's my... notorious for and it's funny, uh, this is a little preview of the preview I wrote for the magazine for the preview this year. Texas State is notorious even before I was going there for like fumbling away so many mm. opportunities to take the like literally yeah. this past season against UTSA, right? They had a mm-hmm. punt return for a touchdown, missed the extra point. So they go to overtime. Um, then they end up losing or like uh, uh, David Bailiff's year in the playoffs. I believe he, uh, if you ask a bunch of older alumni about this, they'll call it uh, the knee. Basically they had a chance to, I think it was like a minute or something to go. They're driving to, or they had the ball and he decided to kneel and go to overtime and they end up losing in mm-hmm. overtime to Georgia Southern. Um, I think it was Georgia Southern, but there's yeah. so many moments like that in Texas state history where you can just like pinpoint like, ah, yeah, they let, you know, uh, I remember against Navy, uh, Brian Arakpo or Mike Arakpo's Brian Arakpo's brother was their star on defense tears his ACL against Navy. They just get torn apart. Cause that, that second level of the defense is just op- exposed now. Um, I, there's so many moments like that where you can just pinpoint you're like, yeah, that, that happened. And then that happened. And then that happened. And by the way, the last seven and five team to miss a bowl game, Texas state, cause they ran out of bowls. So. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, we have a, we have an existence of misery. So what can I say? That is, that is the strong claim to it. Um, okay. So tonight what I want to do is just kind of a, a, a yeah. kick around. Um, and uh, listeners are going to get just a very unfortunate view into how my brain works because we're just going to bring things up and talk about them as they as they come into my brain so um we are in texas state um uh and they are a a fun team um jake spavadol was offensive coordinator under dana holgerson at west virginia comes over um long steeped air raid tradition um and he comes in and things have not been amazing and they've Mm -hmm. done something weird this year in the fact that they took like no signees um at all. I think that's true. Uh, they took all transfers. So what's going on with Jake Spavadol? Is he just like flipping the roster to try and get another job? What's the end game here? Right. That That's what it looks like on the surface, right? Is like, if you, uh, I think Sonny Dykes kind of did this successfully at SMU a couple years ago, where you're just like, why is he taking a bunch of like guys that are just transfers? Um, I will say talking to Jake Spavadol about it, it, there is a little bit more nuance than just what's, because I had the same, you know, when signing day came and it was one signee, exactly. It was a Juco signee, Deontay Washington, um, but that was it. Everybody else was a transfer. And so when signing day came and went, I had the same feeling as everybody. What's happening here? Where's the depth on the roster? Where's the future? You know, things like that. And so talking to him for the magazine, he, you know, he was very candid about it. He said, 
we're a young team. We don't need the future's here. We're fine now. Like they didn't need he he basically said they need to be good right now because last year there was so I believe they only had 13 seniors coming in this year. Um, and then with COVID freezing eligibility, so many of these players are freshmen and sophomores again. And so he didn't feel that adding 20 more freshmen to that group would be good for attrition because he feels like maybe some guys would have transferred out. Maybe some of those high school kids that he brought in would have eventually left. And so now to clarify, they're hitting 2022 really hard. They've offered, they've already offered a lot more, a lot earlier than they have in the past. So I think they do know that they need to start getting on 2022 track. But as far as this year, they basically just said, yeah, no, we're good for the future, but we need a bunch of help right now because that's what, that's what happened with Everett Withers. He, almost over-invested in the future. And every year was just like playing freshman, playing freshman, playing freshman, playing freshman. And that's what ended up costing him his job is they didn't win enough games. And now Spavadol, you know, the guys that are that are juniors and seniors now, that was Withers' last like group of pretty good uh, recruits. And so he's developing those guys and he's recruited fairly decently too, uh, his first couple, his first season, I should say. Um, so he has some guys coming in. And the other thing is the transfers he's bringing in they're also kind of young. Uh, Demarquise Hayes is a freshman from uh, Kansas State. Uh, I believe uh, Ty Evans, who is a highly touted, I think just a upper three-star recruit from NC State, he's technically a freshman at quarterback. Uh, I think Liam Dobson's, I think they're only grad transfer technically. So they have a bunch of transfers that have come in with three or four-ish years of eligibility left. So I, again, it can, we can only really say it works if they win and they're still good a couple years from down the line and this you know their roster doesn't get depleted um because we've seen juco's just at, you know look what happens with kansas under charlie weiss right he's just like mm-hmm. recruited juco's and then just left nothing for the next guy when and then when juco classes don't turn out what are you left with nothing right and so we'll see obviously but i think there was a little bit more thought that went into it than just yeah, all these guys aren't good. Let's just go bring in players that are good. <laughs> well, and, and so the thing about Spavital is that what uh, – so I come from a Texas A&M mm-hmm. area. Everyone's sure. a Texas A&M fan. And everyone hated him by the end of his tenure right? Um, because they thought all he did was show bubble screens. Um, I'm, I didn't expect to ask as many questions about Texas State off the bat, but here we are. But yeah. Spavital, what's kind of the temperature of what he's done on the field? That, like how – like is okay, are we willing to give him another year? and all that with, with a scheme or. I think so. I think the interesting thing, so he's been here for two years now. The, the baffling thing about his first season is that he didn't call plays. He came in and I think it was really confusing to me at the time because you hire Spavadol to run that offense, right? Whether you like it or not, you hire that guy to run that offense, right? It's like, it's like bringing in, you know, Hypo to Tennessee and he's not calling plays. It's like, why are you bringing him in? Um, so we hired Bob Stitt to call the offense. And it wasn't good. It, it a lot, I think a lot of a lot of like deep cut college football fans were kind of excited because you know Bob's did. Mm-hmm. Oh man, the jet sweep and blah blah blah. blah. He, it was not a good offense. It was not <laughs> whatever it was about this level or whatever. It just did not translate. I don't know if this just the jet sweep is just so common now that people just that doesn't catch anybody off guard. Um, but it wasn't. It, it stagnated. They didn't have good quarterback play. Nothing really caught anybody off guard. It was very unimaginative. So last year he called plays, Jake Spavadol, and he brought in Jacob Peeler as offensive coordinator, who was the former wide receivers coach at Ole Miss. 
And yes, during the DK Metcalf, AJ Brown here. So he had some pedigree. And I think that tandem worked really, really well because the offense, it was probably the most exciting offense I'd seen God, probably since that 2014 year where they went seven and five. Um, mm-hmm. It was dynamic. I think there were some times, I think in the Boston College game in particular, where they should have probably won that game, he got a little conservative and he got a little mm-hmm. bit of what AM fans were a little bit worried about with bubble screens and kind of maybe turtle shelling a little bit with his play calling. Um, but overall, I mean, he had a quarterback who was willing to throw downfield, which is not what Texas State fans have been used to seeing because um, Dennis Franchione was their, you know, their basically yeah. ran his offense for, you know, a good five years. Um, and with Jacob Peeler working with the wide receivers, they had a lot of dynamic playmakers that could break, basically break anything open. And so when you had that combination of kind of a freewheeling quarterback and Brady McBride, somebody like Jake Spavadal, who knows how to work with that type of quarterback with obviously with Manziel, but even with Will Greer to an extent, um, he knows how to kind of, you know, kind of harness that uh, wild, wild card factor. And you had receivers that are, you know, emerging. And I think really, really good, uh, especially this year, they're going to be really, really good. You know, there were, it was inconsistent because the quarterback, uh, Brady McBride hadn't played in three years since high school, but when he got his footing, he ended the season, I believe, completing 70% of his passes. Um, I think 10 touchdowns to like two picks. I think he ended the season really, really well. And I think on the field, I don't know many people that are really, uh, not impressed with what he was able to do. I just think that he really did an unfortunate uh, thing for himself by not calling plays. Yeah. I remember I asked him last year, I was like, so why didn't, why didn't you call plays? And he basically, he thought he, he kind of wanted to take more of a CEO approach. I, I don't, I was really curious. I kind of would love to go more into that because like, you know, he had to have known why he got the job, right? Like, he, you know, you're, <laughs> right. you're, you're calling yeah, yeah, plays. Yeah. Like, um, I don't see why you would, delegate that but he kind of realized at the end of uh, 2019 that's like okay I'm this is what I'm here to do and last year I don't think many people outside of a couple scenarios were that unhappy with how things went yeah uh, yeah that's interesting but, I just remember they wanted to ride him out of town on a rail right no no I, then, yeah, but, I don't, yeah no no I think I think depending on this year obviously but as far as his play calling goes you know, and the, again, we'll see about the transfers too. That could be a, that could be another sticking point. Um, but as far as on the field goes, I feel like a lot of people have been very happy with. Now that he's got a quarterback, yeah. now that he's calling the right. plays, I feel they've been really happy with it. Uh, Bob Bob Stitt makes me laugh. Like it makes me think of my great grandmother was born like before the car was invented. My I guess my yeah my great grandmother was born before the car was invented, and then like she yeah. held an iPhone before she died. And a little bit, I feel like mm-hmm. Bob Stitt is my great grandmother because like he basically invented the jet sweep, but then technology and football <laughs> took off so quickly that it's like that's really not that impressive anymore. Like there are cars everywhere, bro. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> right? It's like oh this this awesome coach from the school Colorado school of uh, Colorado Mines or wherever he's from, and it's like oh man, you know Dana uh, was the Dana Holgerson that brought it to like the mainstream in that in that Orange Bowl beatdown or whatever. Thanks. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And so like yep. you remember like oh man, what is he doing with Tavon Austin? Oh, this is crazy. He's like oh he's gonna. I think he was like an analyst at Oklahoma State for a couple years or something, and everybody was excited when Spavito brought him in. So like I remember I. Think I think Bill Connolly even was like, oh, what, Bob Stitt? This is great. And it was not fun. Like, he brought in his transfer, I think, from 
uh, a couple when he was at Montana, he had a quarterback that went to JUCO, and they brought him in, uh, Gress Jensen, and he was supposed to be like one of the main court. Just it just didn't work out, and like you said, it basically was just like, oh right, this is like Monty Kiffin running Tampa two <laughs> at Dallas. And you're just yeah. like, oh man, everybody knows how to handle this. Like, yep, yep. Um, okay, let's. Um, we're we're not going to go that in depth on every team uh, today, but I'm I'm here for. I could talk about Bob Stitt marginalia. Um, for uh for 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 hours um okay let's let's kind of go tangentially there and talk about speaking of my my transition very proud of this speaking of bubble screens texas tech did a weird thing with their offensive coordinator effectively shifting one guy for his exact twin in the same position just shuffling who they were paying uh a little bit replacing uh david yost with sunny cumby um they also got maybe the highest i might regret this, this is off the cut cuff maybe the highest profile transfer in the big 12 this year quarterback tyler shaw who couldn't necessarily win the starting job at oregon he didn't think but is still a very good highly regarded quarterback so um texas tech the offensive coordinator switch the high profile um quarterback coming in what's matt wells's expectation for this fall what are texas tech fans expectation for matt wells this fall um not be an eyesore on offense. Um, that's more or less what it is. I think this was Matt Wells. I think this is his last shot, honestly. Like people, they were kind of, Matt Wells was kind of sold to Texas Tech fans as here's a new identity. Let's get rid of the air raid. Let's get rid of Mike Leach. Let's get rid of Cliff Kingsbury, all that stuff. We're going to build from the ground up. We're going to build something with a guy who knows how to build something and we'll see what happens. And it's been just not, fun to watch like we've seen alan bowman regress i still think alan bowman's a decently talented quarterback and he just did not fit the offense they brought in henry columbia and he probably fit the offense better but that's not a guy you want to be rolling out there um and defense the sad thing is like defensively they've probably been as good as they've been in like a long time but like they can't move the ball i don't know and then if you're Texas Tech, that's like a cardinal sin. You have to move the ball at least. And so I think that's this is Matt Wells saying like, all right, let's see what see what Sonny Cumbie's got. Um, last time this team had an offense that was pretty decent. Sonny Cumbie had a little bit to do with that. Um, I'm curious. I'm actually curious what you guys really do think about that hire. Because obviously, coming from TCU, it's hard to really gauge Sonny Cumbie, knowing that he's a little bit, you know, handcuffed because uh, he has like seven other offensive coaches who also want to do what Gary Patterson says. Yeah. I think Sonny Cumbie is a nice guy. I I think, I think he um, was handcuffed a bit. I also think that he is a good coach of quarterbacks. i.e., like in practice, like I think he's good at developing. Um, I don't think he's a good play caller. And Patterson has um, kind of dictated how he wants his offensive coordinators and play callers to run games. But I think even within that limitation, Cumbie was not a good play caller. Parker, I think, has stronger words, but that's kind of fine. Well, we just you you said it more diplomatically. My refrain has always been don't half-ass the air raid or like don't half-ass the air raid and a ball control offense. Like pick one and do it. And Sonny Cumbie was Mm -hmm. put in a hard spot. And then he did very poorly being put in that hard spot. So I think both of those are true. Um, I do think, I think I, I think I tweeted this as off season, but like there's a world where Cumbie gets the reins and puts together a more than competent offense. Texas tech 45th in EPA per play on defense last year, which is respectable. If they can do the air raid scoring thing, Hey, you're, you're yeah. winning some games um, and, and, and going to have fun doing it, which I think was a lot of the issue with 
you know, with Wells and and the whole um, alleged Fort Worth contingent of Texas Tech boosters who were unhappy and tried to get him gone last year and all that. So um, I, I think they're an interesting team. I think the that, that kind of transitions a uh, bigger picture. But like the Big 12's middle class, especially in the Texas teams, that's just going to be a weird. I mean, if Texas Tech is is on top of that, it would be crazy. But you could say, hey, I understand how they did it. Right. Yeah. I. I it's almost like, I don't know. It's almost it's it's completely up for grabs to me because I don't know. You know, I can't put it like a, a stamp on like ah that team right because like I don't think. Baylor's going to make marketed improvements, but I, they literally cannot be worse on offense than they were the past couple of years. Um, and I think they've made the right hire. And so, like, do they punch their way to the bottom of that middle pack? I don't know. Um, Iowa State's going to be in that conversation, obviously, um, since they held on to Matt Campbell. Uh, TCU, we'll see what they do now that, you know, Chandler Morris is released from his prison. Um, you know, if he contends for the He tournament. won't. Hey, 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 hey. Okay. If he plays, something's gone wrong. <laughs> Ish, fair, calm down can, now. Fair enough, Wait fair a minute. That's, Ish, that's not your fault. We're, we're going to look the first yeah, time Max it, Duggan throws an interception this fall, we're going to have to punch people in the face. So we're already getting out in front of that. Yeah, no, no, no. It's yes, I get it. But yeah. Fair enough. Okay. If Max Duggan continues on his trajectory, you know, we'll see. There, there you go. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm a Chandler Morris truther. So I, I think he's a really good quarterback. So I think I've, I'm a big, a big fan. Me of too. I do um, too, for the record. I, I, I've made my dog Max Duggan. So I'm, I'm kind of put myself in. You're one invested. Camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's better work That's out, perfect. damn it. <laughs> but I think I, I will say I will co-sign the Tyler Shug being the best transfer of this year in the state because he. You mentioned it at Oregon. I think Oregon fans even are going to have to have a little bit of a come to Jesus moment with Mario Cristobal's offense because we saw him struggle when he was a highly touted guy. I believe, I believe some mock drafts still have him as like the second or third quarterback in the draft coming up behind Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler. Um, but Justin Herbert didn't look this good at Oregon either. Like what he's doing with the chargers, he just did not look, it looked like he was handcuffed in that offense, similar to how Tyler Shug at times looked like he was handcuffed or a little bit conservative last year. And so I'm wondering, that's why I'm really intrigued by this because he was a highly touted quarterback who has now, you know, a good quarterback coach. So I'm wondering how much of that, how much of his regression last year or kind of conservative nature last year was because of that's just how Mario Cristobal wants his quarterbacks to play. Um, because I think, I mean, Justin Herbert made a fool out of me. I thought he'd be a bust in the NFL and he's looks really, really good. And so he wasn't, he's was making throws that I just didn't think he could make. And so I'm wondering I don't want to say we'll see like that kind of type of surge, type of surge from Tyler Shuck, but the quarterback play in the Big 12 right now, I mean, who is somebody, who is anybody, you know, would you bank on anybody being like incredible this year? Like it, it seems like just kind of a reset year as far as quarterbacks go. Um, and so it wouldn't shock me at all if he comes out of this year, first team, all Big 12 out of nowhere. And you're just like, oh, right, Texas Tech just got an all-conference quarterback out of nothing. Yeah, I'm I'm a Spencer Rattler truther, so I could see that in the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I I do want to pivot. Um, and you were talking about star quarterbacks. We have had a long running bit with your uh, co-host at the Republic of Texas podcast, Shane mm-hmm. Andrea Raja, about the stardom or non-stardom of Baylor quarterback Charlie Brewer. Obviously, he's not with Baylor anymore. <sighs> um, yeah, but I kind of wanted to get your temperature on Baylor. Um, yeah. Bill Connolly put out his returning production stats. Um, Today, mm-hmm. Baylor's 90th in the country, returning 72% of their production. 
a large part of that, of course, is Charlie. But where do, where do you see the Bears? Where do you stand on them this year? So, yeah, they don't return a lot on offense. But my opinion is I wouldn't want to return a lot from that offense. So I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so yes. I, they made the right hire uh, with Grimes. I think Eric Mateos is actually going to be probably the bigger hire, the offensive line coach, because um, he was a uh, – long story short, he was at Texas State my last year covering the team, and he was really good. Like he turned Aaron Brewer – I mean, Aaron Brewer was really good, but Aaron Brewer, he really took Aaron Brewer to another level, and now he's a rotation lineman for the Titans. Um, he had that line playing – in, in a very short amount of time, he had that line playing really well. And so it didn't surprise me that he went to BYU and was instantly great, right? That was, I believe, other than Alabama, BYU might have been the best offensive line in the country. And so I think he was as big of a, a snag as Grimes' as offensive coordinator. So I'm okay with Baylor. I just got to see what I mean, it's always it always goes back to quarterback, right? Like, I, I just mm-hmm. don't know what they have there. I don't know if I thought I liked what Zeno showed uh, in the Big 12 title game and what little flashes we saw of him. I can't say for sure because, apparently, you know, Charlie Brewer was not good last year, but apparently none of the other guys were good enough to bench him. So, like, I don't know. <laughs> that was my thing was, right. like, you know what this guy offers, and it's not very good, but they're still not confident enough to play somebody else. So, I don't know what they have, right? I think they have the guy for the future in Kyron Jones. I really think he's going to be the future of that 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 program. But as far as this year, you know, Grimes could be great, right? We I, BYU is a really awesome offense. Zach Wilson, obviously, you know, just ascended to a new level this year. He could be a great play caller at Baylor, but I don't think we'll know it until twenty twenty two. May I may I present to you my case for Jeff Grimes not being good at Baylor? Um, Ooh, okay. I'm here. Okay. So I've got a conspiracy theory here, but basically in, uh, in 2019. Okay. So bigger picture, Mm -hmm. Zach Wilson was very bad. Um, before he was Mm -hmm. very good. Um, Zach Wilson made one of the biggest year to year jumps in, uh, QBR ESPN's kind of EPA opponent adjusted thing. It was like 58.8. And then in, in 19 and then in 2020 was like over 90 mm. just like an insane unheard of jump i will say wasn't he battling a little bit of injury in he 2019 was, he was injured and grimes was in charge of the offense until the boise state game and so mm. uh the previous i did some splits here the the from from the boise state game 18 games before baylor's our byu's offense was 24.1 points per game and when grimes shifted more towards offensive line, went back into the booth and gave over the play calling duties. Since then, BYU's offense was 37.6 points per game. Um, so like a, a pretty big jump, although the opponents are sure. a little bit different. They did kind of a play a, a preschool mm-hmm. schedule last year, but there is some evidence to suggest mm-hmm. that Grimes is a lot better as kind of like the CEO of the offense, which makes you wonder, I mean, he's going to bring the playbook. He's got his offensive line guy mm-hmm. there, but I, I could see, hey, he doesn't have the glue of a Zach Wilson who can play make outside of the pocket and everything to, to kind of make all that go. And that's, there's still going to be some adjustment costs there. Sure. And I think, I mean, when he was out, I mean, BYU's off, it's not like, you know, he was plugging in Joe Schmell, a quarterback and then doing really well. So, I mean, that that's, I, again, I don't, I, I think the problem is that, you know, we really don't, we have no idea what Baylor has at quarterback. Right? I don't think anybody's that confident in Gary Bahannon. Um, I, 
like I said, I like Jacob Zeno, but I think he was firmly number three last year on the depth chart. And I, they're not going to throw Kyron Jones out there. And so, you know, is it another year of Baylor trying to figure out oh, what's kind of going on at quarterback? Um, and I, I don't know. I'm wondering because I didn't think I, 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 I don't want to say I'm a Charlie Brewer truth or anything, but like I definitely saw the ceiling. You know, when when they had their big surge, I definitely saw that offense being hindered by him more than you know taking a step forward. Um, and so. I don't know. Part of me is also like, was he, was he the best they had, right? Like literally was he the best they had and they just had to play him. Um, Cause I think their defense is going to be really good. Their defense was pretty good last year. I think their defense took, it didn't take as big of a drop from their last year to uh, Matt rule that I thought it would, it was, it took a drop cause they lost a lot of guys like, you know, Lynch and all that, but it, we know Dave Aranda, that's what Dave Aranda does, right? He can put together those really elite defenses. And I think that's, I mean, that's going to be something that's going to be continuous. So it does a lot's going to fall on Jeff Grimes to, you know, work his magic, whatever he has to really take this to the next level. Cause yeah, I don't know. I will say it's a little encouraging that Aranda, you know, typically the thing with defensive coaches is clock control. And, you know, we, he, you know, he wants you to preserve the defense and things like that. It is a little encouraging that his first two hires were Larry Fedora and Jeff Grimes. Like that's clock control, traditional, you know, line them up you know, time of possession isn't necessarily his concern, which is a good thing to me. So definitely, especially being kind of defensive, uh, defensive minded there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let's, let's keep slinging around the state. Cause I think maybe the most interesting, um, you know, speaking of, of, of new, new coaches, uh, but, but more so up and coming coaches, one of the most interesting names in coaching in the state of Texas is UTSA's Jeff trailer. Um, yeah. the road rather the road runners, excuse me, last year were, um, a capital E capital F extremely fun team. They, uh, they, they, their bowl game against Louisiana was, um, one of my favorite of the year and maybe one of my favorite ever. It was just, it was just heartwarming. Um, and so, uh, trailer and the boys also gave BYU their, their closest loss of the entire season last year, uh, aside from, um, closest win, sorry, aside from the coastal Carolina game, uh, mm-hmm. Where's Jeff Trailer coaching in 2022? Oh, yeah. So that's a great question because, I mean, it has to be in the state, right? He doesn't strike me as somebody who's going to go, you know, take a big geographical push. So I don't know. Part of me wants to say, part of me wants to say SMU because I think Sonny Cumbie gets another job because I think there's a, there's a nice job in Lubbock that could become available that he would obviously love to take. Can you contextualize, contextualize the jump from UTSA to SMU? Cause somebody might think, well, you're just going to another power five school, like or uh, another sure. group of five school. Well, yeah. like, why would you do that? SMU has money, man. There's some people in the state that don't realize SMU yeah. has some money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, SMU Houston are power five adjacent like they're they're not power five but i mean if whatever you consider ucf like put smu up there right that's like in terms of money that's what we're talking about here i think they can they can basically pluck anybody from another group of five program and say yeah come coach here i think that might be if the dominoes fall right right i don't i don't know if he'll make a jump to like a texas tech or something like that but i think that if because to me, the dominoes are set up. If Matt Wells wins four games, four or five games this year, he's probably gone. 
I think Sonny Cumbie would love that job. Or not Sonny Cumbie, uh, Sonny Dykes would love that well, job. Well, Sonny Cumbie would love that job, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, that, that is very <laughs> true. Both of them would love that job, yeah. <laughs> 100%, yes. So Sonny Cumbie would love that job. But Sonny Dykes would actually be good at that job. So um, I think he would love that, obviously, for sentimental reasons. And so if I'm tech, I'd probably go at, at him, which means SMU would be open. And this isn't the SMU from a couple of years ago. This is a really good SMU program right now. So I think they'd have the cachet and the literal cash to go get somebody like Jeff Trailer and say, okay, Sonny Dykes built this with transfers and kind of, you know, instant guys. Now maintain that while also just destroying everybody in the group of five in recruiting. Like just destroy everybody. Even take a guy from Texas or something, right? Because when you get to SMU, you can start – jostling a little bit more with the Baylors and TCUs and the Texases for a little bit, some more of those premier guys. Jeff Trailer, the wild part is that no one who knew high school football was surprised by this. I think they're surprised that, T, that UTSA was this good, but nobody's surprised that Jeff Trailer was this good because this was a guy who, right when he got the Texas uh, tight ends coach job, I believe it was, they were like, oh, this guy's going to, he's never going back to high school. Like he is in college and he is going to do a really good job because everybody, everybody loved him. Like he's, he's that type of high school presence. And it's not like, a, I think, you know, people, I think people can use Chad Morris as like the nightmare scenario is like, oh, if you hire a guy who's loved by high school coaches, whatever. It's like, yeah, sure. There are a bunch of things that went wrong at Arkansas, but I think Jeff Trailer's is a different deal because he did it at the uh, 3A, 4A level. It was a low, level lower. And so he knows how to ingratiate himself with everybody in the state, right? And so that's what he did at UTSA. Their recruiting is insane right now. It was good under Frank Wilson, and it's gone completely out, out the roof. I think Shahan compared them last year to a high school team because uh, you watch their offense, and it would change week to week to week because they'd have to change quarterbacks, and they'd have to, like, you know, because of injury. And so, like, the offense they ran with Frank Harris under center was something different than with Lowell Narcisse was under center. And I think uh, the thing I said at the end of the year was, I think this was a, because they didn't have spring practice either. I think this was just a lot of good coaches coaching on their instincts, right? It was like, what worked last game? Do that again, right? This worked last game, do that again. And like, they didn't overthink anything. They didn't try to over game plan because they didn't have time to install that much. And so I think it was a lot of coaches just relying on their really good experienced instincts of just like what works, do that every week. So I say, like uh, I said, I'll say SMU. That's long story short. That was the- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The SMU is the answer. Uh, okay. Give me 30 seconds and then pretend that I'm transitioning right out of this. Uh, you hit the Chad Morris button, which is where I remind everybody that Chad Morris won a state title at Bay City High School, my alma mater, and I'm always on the Chad Morris team. Uh, I still like Chad Morris. What he did at I still like him. I think he's a good coach. Go uh, okay. Black Cats? Speaking, go Black Cats. You're oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, Black Cat fight never dies. Speaking of coaches that are offensive innovators let's talk about texas steve sarkisian comes in the tom herman experiment um you know not everyone in minnesota can be a success um so so to start coming in what do you see texas doing different and what would be a success for texas in 2021 oh well one they're going to acknowledge that rpos exist um which is uh, definitely a step forward (laughs) um well, RPOs yeah. that are designed and not Sam Ellinger run for your life if this pass doesn't work right. out. Yeah. Right. Yes, right. exactly. It's not Sam Ellinger put on the cape and win us this game. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating. So, like, I didn't – I think when the hire first came out, 
you know, it was kind of, it was kind of panned. It was, you know, pretty, like pretty funny. It's like, wow, they fired Tom Herman to hire the offensive coordinator of Bama. That's really weird. Um, and so I think I was a little bit higher on it than most people at the time, but I don't know. I still don't know if he's going to be the guy. Like I, I'm lukewarm on it. I'll put it that way because I think they did need somebody who can modernize that offense. I think Tom Herman, for whatever reason, he tried to do a lot of things that just did not work that worked at Houston that worked at Ohio state, right. It won them a national title, but where the game's evolved since then even. And so I think that a lot of things that he tried to do didn't a lot of the player development didn't turn out either. Like he couldn't really find a running back until he realized B. John Robinson was his best running back towards the end of the year. Um, they couldn't really find a receiver once uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey left and the offensive line was inconsistent despite having decent talent on there. Like we know mm-hmm. Sam Cosme is going to be there, going to be in the NFL soon and the defense just fell apart. And so I don't know. I think Steve Sarkeesian play calling wise is going to be really interesting to watch. I just don't know if USC and Washington are any indications that he's going to be a really good head coach. I think, I think his ceiling is really fine. I don't know. That's my opinion. (laughs) No, no, I I think you're right. And, and, which is kind of why, you know, that second part of that question, okay. It is first year. If Texas hits nine wins, to me, I, I mean, I'm not a Texas fan, but to me, if, if he gets nine wins out of that team in his first year, that's a success. But that's not what, you know, orangebuds.com right. wants to see. Right. So I, I just feel like the odds are stacked against him based on what he has proven in the past. Yeah, I think because this is I mean, you're going in with either Hudson Card or Casey Thompson at quarterback. You have B. John Robinson, which, again, really good, really good talent at running back. I think the receivers are still a little bit unknown. Like I, you know, I don't know who their number one is. Is it Jake Smith? Great. But like, you know, I, I think people got a little bit too excited watching the national title. It was like, Oh, look at the space Devonte Smith has. I was like, yeah, you guys are going to be running, you know, Kai money there next year. Like that's not going to be <laughs> like, you know, Jake Smith isn't Jalen Waddle, right? Like you got to really temper that down. There's only so much you can scheme when you just don't have Alabama talent. Um, so I don't know. And like, I mean, there's the, it's the Nick Saban thing too, right? Like his assistants just, they work in the machine and then you take that out and you got Mike Loxley of Maryland, you know? So I don't, I don't know. Hey, Maryland, yeah. look, we're, we're very pro Maryland on this, uh, on this podcast. Yeah, I'm about to say, did, did Mike Loxley beat Texas? Or, did Mike Loxley beat Texas? No, that was the coach. villain and the scoundrel, yeah. DJ Durkheim. Yes, yeah. Um, my bad. Yeah. Sorry, I want to make I, I, I want to make them together. Jake Smith isn't Jalen Waddle the episode title. I'm going to try and remember and do that. Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, I think me and Shahan texted me that was like uh, we were we were joking back and forth. We're like, uh, I can't wait till the Red River Shootout. It's like, wow, why didn't uh, Jake Smith run past the OU secondary? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, also about Texas this fall. I'm not I'm not calling anything. I'm just saying Louisiana and at Arkansas. Are both plausible that, yeah, games. games? That is very much like I'm trying. Texas to, has lost. Yeah, you're looking at the schedule right now. Yeah, they've they've lost easier games. They lost to Maryland. We just said they yeah. lost to Maryland yeah. twice. 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 They lost to Maryland twice. Like I'm looking at it right now. So yeah, Louisiana at Arkansas. Rice they'll win, but Rice is better. Um, they're not just like Rice that they used to just steamroll seventy to three. Um, but like if they go like. Man, they can go. They could easily start zero and two going into Rice. 
That's yeah. I th- I think they'll split them, but th- I, the thing that the I thing that I think too, what but... Texas fans are focusing on is they get that bye week in October, and then it's Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas, West Virginia, Kansas State, four and one. We're cruising to cruising to a bowl, feeling good about twenty twenty two. Is probably what I see as being the success for Texas this fall. Yeah, that's fair. I could see that. I I completely forgot they opened with Louisiana. That is that, an annoying. A, that game. is dangerous, man. And well, how much, even how, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Ish. Go ahead. No, no, I was looking up their returning production because I was—I actually haven't seen Louisiana's returning production yet. They are—they are number one in the country in returning production. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Connolly has them at third. Texas is a hundred and fifteenth, one spot ahead of Texas A&M. Uh, yikes! Yeah, it's not good. <sighs> well, and then and then they go to there's a three game stretch in October at TCU, uh, Cotton Bowl, home yeah. for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's not as good as they were last year, but still, man, that is a tough three-game stretch. That was rough. Yeah, so um, again, I'm really – like, I think we're going to see – I think that Rice game is going to be kind of there's his show-out game, right? He's going to make – he's going to have his wide receivers running free, and they're going to be doing some cool stuff. And it's like, oh, this is this is going to be fun. They're going to be, you know, running that open offense. And I But, but that Louisiana, that first game is going to – there's going to be some narratives, let's just say. There's going to be some narratives that are drawn immediately after that game because cannot wait. That is unfortunate. <laughs> I am and I am going to be glued to that game. <laughs> Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Um, okay. right, yeah. Let's um, let's talk about let's talk about TCU a little bit. Um, okay, let's do it. Speaking of returning production, TCU yes. has has not had a quarterback go through a full off season. Uh, as the returning starter since Kenny Hill in 2017. The only other time they did that was Javon Boykin coming back in 2015. Um, to say quarterbacks situ- uh, TC's quarterback situation has been tenuous might be an understatement. Um, but the Frogs have uh, s- some of the w- – one of the best playmakers, maybe two of the best playmakers in the state of Texas, Zach Evans and Quentin Johnson. Um, yes. Ish, can you kind of give us a little bit of uh, perspective? Both of those guys had had recruitments that were intriguing, albeit in very different ways, um, yeah. and are and are both kind of poised to be on the uh, on the big stage for the Frogs this fall. Yeah, so I think I think with Zach Evans to start off, I mean, you guys saw what he did at the end of last year. Like he really, it really showed why he was, you know, at the time I think his junior year, the top recruit in the state, and you know, bordering the top recruit in the country. He just has that explosion that once he gets to the second level, he has that physical, it's it's that perfect balance, right? That explosion and that physicality that like can level somebody and then just burst past the secondary. And yeah, his recruiting, I mean, you know, it was pretty well documented. Obviously he went to Georgia, got out of his letter of intent. I honestly, from what I've heard, I think he just got bad advice. And I think that it was just like following the wrong people and just kind of got him in some hot water and he had to pull out and uh, based off of that, I know Georgia was pretty pretty happy to kind of let him go just to end the controversy and end the whole story. I I believe this. I believed this at the time when he first enrolled, and I still believe this now. I thought TCU was the perfect landing spot because I think that Gary Patterson was somebody who he needed. He needed somebody to make him work on the way up, right? Make him work from the depth chart. He had his guys. He had Darren Barlow. He had even Kendra Miller um, and DeMarcado were even above him. And he had him work his way up a little bit more and more. And I think that did him that did him well because, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything 
about him since in terms of like off the field or clashing with coaches or anything. And towards the end of the year, you can tell Gary Patterson's like, Oh, this guy's our most talented running back. Right. And so we're just going to keep playing him more and more. And I mean, it speaks for itself, right? Almost averaging eight yards a carry. And again, that's mostly second half of the season stuff. That's not really like, you know, he didn't really play that much in the first half. Um, And so I, I think he's in for a potentially huge year. I think if, I think if Gary Patterson, if this were 1960 and Gary Patterson was running the offense he really wanted to run, he'd run the wishbone and put, you know, all those guys in the backfield and give them all the ball. Um, but they have so much, so much talent in that backfield. And so I'm really, I'm insanely excited to see where that goes. Quentin Johnson, Quentin Johnson's the same way. I am really stoked to see. It's not every time you see like a six, five, six, four wide receiver who has his athletic gifts and, Again, Gary Patterson's not the guy that's going to go for those big recruits unless they kind of come to him. And so for him to get his hands on somebody like that, somebody that gifted, is a coup in my opinion. So to have both of those guys, I think, again, if we see the continue the trajectory that we've seen from Max Duggan, if we see that kind of the flashes that we know he can produce, I think TCU's to me, I would have them in the front of that middle pack. I think they're the they're the first team that can kind of punch into that upper echelon if things go right on offense because they have that dynamism that they've missed the past couple of years. Ish, you read my mind and you provided a transition for me. And since you've been saying such nice things about <laughs> uh, Quentin Johnson and Zach Evans, it is time to play our favorite game on the Purple Theory podcast, which is, Ish, say something nice about Max Duggan for me. Max Duggan. <laughs> no, it's not that hard, actually. Max Duggan, I will say this much. I think I, t- I think Park told Parker this when he was on our podcast. I did not think Max Duggan was an FBS quarterback his first year. I, I straight up was like, this is a guy who he just, they just threw him out there. This is like either going to get a transfer or something. And this is his first snaps last year. And before they real before teams realized TCU didn't have an offensive line. They he really, really looked like a legitimately good quarterback. And the strides he took last year, he was deliberate. He wasn't doing I remember because I remember his first year, you know, you guys saw it too. He was just like, it's a kid getting battered. He's he's running for his life. He's taking so many hits. He's trying to figure out if he's a running quarterback. Um, can I throw, you know, is he, am I freewheeling kind of thing? Last year it looked like he was a quarterback who knew that he could run. Right. It wasn't a guy who's just like running for his life. I'm going to, Oh, look, there's an open hole. Let me just go. It looked like deliberate decision-making. He knew his playmakers were, he just didn't have many of them, or at least at the time he didn't know who exactly where to go or, you know, but I saw a guy that took a step forward last year and I really do think he is a legitimately good quarterback. So that's my good thing about Max Duggan. I, I, I became a believer last year because I was very adamant 2019. This guy's not going to be a starter. Uh, in 2020 he's they're going to get a transfer and tcu is going to try to move forward and i was proven wrong that, that might be the best that segment's ever gone <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the happiest i've been coming out <laughs> um yeah i mean i agree with that like you can go look at the second half of iowa state um where you know he was able to kind of evade some some problems with the offensive line and teams didn't, you know, Iowa state wasn't keyed in on like, Hey, if we brought four, we'd probably kill him. Um, like everyone right. else was later on. And, and he was leading a pretty great comeback and there was a, you know, fluke fluke interception kind of derailed that, but still looked, looked way more competent and confident, um, than, than we've ever seen. Um, yeah, okay. 100%. I, 
I want to do just one last thing to kind of get tap into a little bit your your Texas expertise here. Um, and so uh, instead okay. of landing with TCU, I'd actually like to ask you, um, who are a couple names around the state of Texas that might not be getting that that much coverage or buzz that you're really excited for this fall? Um, that I think the way I'll phrase that question is, what teams are we turning on for what players when when you know when TCU is not playing? Who should we go seek out and and say these guys are going to be fun or exciting? Let's check them out. Sure. I think number one, and I hope, I pray to God that he's on more people's radars this year. It's Sincere McCormick at UTSA. Um, this is a running back who, since his freshman year, he's been their only consistent offensive weapon. And all he's done is average six yards a carry. Like, this is a guy who's played behind terrible quarterbacks. Probably the ceiling is like decent quarterbacks that he's had. Not really good offensive lines. I believe in 2019, he averaged eight yards a carry. Or no, sorry, five, six yards a carry behind a terrible offensive line. Terrible. And they knew who was getting the ball. He still, and it was not a good offense either. I believe that was Frank Wilson's last year. Not a good offense. Very archaic. Line him up, you know, try to run down your throat. And he did it. And like, he's a guy who, you know, if you're from the San Antonio area, you know that Converse, he was really good for Converse Judson. And 2020, I remember, uh, I think Shahan talked to Jeff Trailer about it. And Shahan asked, because again, these guys didn't have spring camp like everybody else. You know, he asked him like, oh, when did you realize, you know, Sincere McCormick was that good? And he was like, oh, that game. Like, he was like, <laughs> yeah. he was like, he didn't know exactly how good he was until he just saw him tear Texas State apart. I think where he did average like seven yards a carry, almost 200 yards. And so he's, he's number one easily. If you're, if UTSA is on, watch him because he's going to get 100 yards in that game. Number two, I'm going to go out to out west, UTEP. I'm going to go Jacob Cowling because he is a receiver that, similar to Sincere McCormick, supporting cast has not been great. 2020, he finally had a decent quarterback in Gavin Hardison who knew how to get him the ball. But he's a guy who I believe put up about 400 yards as a freshman, um, and you kind of saw the makings of like a really dynamic receiver. And I want to say, I'm trying to figure out, his, trying to find his 2020 stats, what he finished with. He finished with just over 500 yards. And this isn't a prolific UTEP offense, right? This is still an offense finding itself. This is still a program kind of figuring out where it's going. But Jacob Cowling is the guy. And I think that you're going to see a receiver. Uh, UTSA fans will, will tell you too. He had some big catches against UTSA. I think that when UTEP's on offense, Watch out for him because he's going to be a guy that Gavin Hardison is going to be looking for to make a big play. Um, I think a lot of people in the state didn't really know about him because I want to say he's from Virginia, or, uh, Arizona. So he kind of burst onto the scene out of nowhere. Uh, lastly, I'm going to pick a homer pick. And I'm going to say D.C. Williams at Texas State because he is a cornerback to go to the other side of the ball. He's a transfer quarterback, cornerback who came in from Vanderbilt, starting corner from Vanderbilt, who also started as a freshman at Wisconsin. So you go from Jim Leonard to Derek Mason. If you start for Jim Leonard and Derek Mason, you're a really good, talented defensive player. And so basically coaching change, obviously at Vanderbilt, he leaves and he ends up at Texas State. I think they got a steal in in DC Williams because he started, I believe, six games for Vanderbilt last year before he, I think he opted out, I want to say. So I think D.C. Williams, because their secondary, Texas State secondary is going to be the most experienced part of that defense. And so I think in particular him locking down probably that number one uh, slot, I think is going to be really fascinating to watch. So I'll give you those three names. 
Fantastic. I will make sure to roll that into uh, my gambling for 2021, where I rationally bet on those players. Uh, just, on hey, I will say, smart money is on Sincere McCormick for some kind of award. Yes. He is. He put up. He puts up numbers, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched a little bit of him last year, and not as much as I should have. And the guy's just absolutely insane. Um, Ish, thank you so much for joining us on the Purple Theory Podcast. Where can uh, people find you? Follow your work. Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at Ishmael R. Johnson. Um, that's you know my full name plus middle name or middle initial. Uh, TexasFootball.com. I've uh, got some stuff on there. TexasBasketball.com. Um, the managing editor of our basketball site as well. And uh, let's see, Republic of Football podcast. And then we just launched our basketball podcast, Texas 24. And that's on Apple and Spotify as well. So that's me and uh, Matthew Bruni of 247. Um, so we'll, we're talking a bunch of stuff on there. We obviously had a national title to talk about. Um, so we're that's me and Shahan, a little bit on, of a, on a hiatus while we're doing magazine stuff right now with text, uh, Republic of Football, but we're still doing text, uh, Texas 24 pretty consistently. That was the other question I was going to ask. When does the magazine come out? Yeah. Yeah. So magazine... Probably out. I'd probably say if you're not a subscriber, which you can be at TexasFootball.com, uh, it'll probably hit store shelves in July. Um, some probably mid late July, but if you are a subscriber, early July is when we try to get them to subscribers. This is the part where I was supposed to land this plan to take us out, but it's also where I uh, exercise my beef that you and Jihad have somehow put Baylor on like three of the last four covers of Texas football and basketball. Colors. And uh, you were right. Yeah. With, you were right with the basketball cover. <laughs> Past that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will say they're they're as, as the managing editor of basketball. They're not going on the cover for a call. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> <Call good. laughs> that is good. All right, all right. Glad we settled that on the TCU podcast here. Oh man, um, there you well, go. Great. This has been uh, <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Ish Johnson of uh, of Dave Campbell's is is a lot of fun to talk to. Make sure you go follow his stuff and uh, you know subscribe to the, uh, to the, to the magazine. It's a great resource. I, uh, I get it every year. So, um, as always, yes. I'm, I'm stats war. That's Grant McGalliard, uh, spelled like it's sound with all those vowels. And, uh, we'll talk to y'all next week. Go frogs. <laughs> <laughs>